0: Good afternoon. It is so good to be back with you. It's just a real blessing to have this time, this uh, s- s- sectioned off here in the afternoon for us to come together once again, spend a little bit more time in God's Word, spend some more time singing praises to Him. It's good to see those that weren't able to be with us this morning due to, to sickness. That is certainly a, an answer to prayer. Uh, we are thankful for that. Um, as we've, we've been going through these, this, uh, these, these graces of the Christian. We're gonna take a break from that for a little bit uh, and look at where where it is we get the information, where it is that we get the these graces, how they are they are kept for us. Because when we stop and we, we begin to contemplate and to think about God. Maybe we think about the beauty and and the order that is seen in his creation. That is one place where we certainly see God. Psalm 19, verse 1, Romans 1, verse 20, these passages talk about these evidences of God that are seen in His, in His world, but perhaps, and perhaps when we see these things, when we, when we look out on a, a, a beautiful, pristine uh, morning and there's that thick layer of frost that so many of us saw this morning, and we can't help but see that and think, how great thou art, a song that we sing so often. And the creation reveals so much about God, and it's so easy to see so many things about him, but it doesn't tell us anything about his, his gift of love. It doesn't tell us anything about his mercy. It doesn't tell us anything about his interaction with us, about what he wants from us, or what he wants and desires for us to become. And that is why we've spent so much time, we devote time to studying his word, whether it be in, in our classes together or while while during a sermon is being preached. <coughs> We we devote this time to growing and learning about God from the source that we have. That is what is revealed through us through His book, the Bible. And in this book, we find that it is a book that is equal to the task of that great God. When we think of of the greatness of God, and we think of the awesomeness of God. That was the the theme of, of the gospel meeting that I uh, recently preached at uh, in Georgetown. When we, when we think of that and we stop to think of how great he is, do we ever really stop to think about how great his book is? How great this, this library, that's really what it is, what we have and hold in holding our hands, is a library of, of documents recording the knowledge and the wisdom and the will of our great God. By his spirit, he has inspired a book capable of, of accomplishing great things. That's what I want to do this, this afternoon is just spend a little bit of time looking into His Word and understanding it and, and growing a little bit in our knowledge of it and seeing just so we can really uh, wrap our minds around how great the Bible is. The first place I want to start is actually in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament we see... What they they were able to say about God's word, and, and what they were able to understand about God's word, and what was inspired for us to know in these days from them. In Psalms chapter one. <coughs> Psalms chapter one, verses one through three. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. In the days of David, they looked at God's Word and realized that it was a guide. It was a guide for true happiness. There were so many things in life that, that might make you feel like you were happy. I'm Certainly in David's day, you would think that a very happy person would be a person with their barns, Full of wheat and with their, their vats full of wine, and, and, and they were a, pe- a person with plenty, but yet they understood no, a truly happy person is a person who has the Word of God and not only has it, but studies it and knows it and understands it. Psalm 19 goes on to speak of the virtues of God's Word. Turn over to Psalm 19 and verse 7. <coughs> Psalm 19 and verse 7, starting off, says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The, the law of the Lord, as they understood it in that day, had the ability to convert, to restore the soul. And it goes on to say to make the wise simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. It has the ability to take that which does not have wisdom and impart wisdom to it. So we can convert. the soul it can make the simple wise as we keep on reading verse 8 the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandments of the lord are uh, the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes this is it fills us it has the ability to fill our hearts with joy and to to take that which we see and, and and so oftentimes when we look to the world and we don't look through the world through the lens of the gospel and of God's word, we look through the world and we don't have a very bright outlook. We have a very bleak outlook. And you don't have to look very far, especially if you're on social media, as people talk about this election and, and everything that went into it and the results of it. And there's a lot of people out there that really don't have a very bright outlook for our future. But yet the law of the Lord enlightens the eyes. We have something to look forward to. And as it goes on in verse 9, it endures forever. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Verses 10-11, through they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. There is so much value in the Word of God. It is worth far more than all the riches of the world than everything that you could ever accumulate in this life. And it tastes far better than anything you could ever fill your life with. And then we also see on that note that they did understand there definitely was value in God's Word. Turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm one nineteen in verse nine <clears throat> says, "How can a young man keep his way pure?" There was value in the word of the Lord because by keeping it, a young man was able to keep his way pure. What they had it laid out for them. What they had was the ability to live a pure life because you were following that which was perfect and that which would endure forever and was true and righteous. Verse eleven. Says your word, <clears throat> excuse me, your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The word of God guards the heart. It protects the heart and the mind against sin. We can see that over in the New Testament as well, uh, just reiterated again. Psalm 119, 97 through 98. We're gonna skip on down through this Psalm a little bit. In, 90, in verses 97 through 98, it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are never mine. I have, <clears throat> I have more insights than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. The Word of God has the ability to not just make one wise, but to make one wiser than their enemies, to give one more understanding than even their teachers. As it will go on in verse 100, I observed more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. Those that have lived long lives and have grown to know these great things over long periods of time and have learned that you know, certain things are not good because of trial and error and they have learned this is not a good idea to do or that's not a good idea to do. God's Word has the ability to make one who has not experienced the pains and the troubles that come with a long life of learning and teach them the things that are wise. In fact, as it goes on in 105, it says it's a lamp and a light to guide one on one's way. It's a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. In verse 165, verse 165 of the same, of the same psalm, it says, Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. This is very similar to what we've been reading over in Peter, in, in uh, 2 Peter. <coughs> it provides us and it fills our lives with peace if it is read by one who loves it. This is just a, a snippet. This is just a few small, short passages that describe just a, a, a small portion of God's Word and the value that they had in it, and just how small a portion are we talking about? In the days of David, it's likely that they just had the books of Genesis through maybe Ruth. It's about it. They didn't have a, They didn't have everything we had now. But with just that small section of the gospel, or excuse me, of the Bible, just that small section of the Bible, they understood this is a truly great book. But let's fast forward now to the days of Paul. Move on, moving on past the days of, of David, let's move to the days of Paul and look over in Romans. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. <coughs> it says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. And it serves as an example, if we read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, that we might be written, or it might be written for our admonition. And 2 Timothy 3, a passage that we've used quite a bit here lately, tells us that it was all, every bit of it, from the Old Testament to the New, every single bit of it was written, and it was inspired or breathed out by God for a purpose. Not just because God felt, I have nothing better to do than fill these people with, with my thoughts and with my ways and with commandments. but It was with a purpose. It was written out in so such a way it would be profitable to us. It would make us wise regarding things such as salvation by faith in Christ. So that it would be useful for us for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. So that it would help us to become complete in God. Help us to be equipped for every good work. As Christians, we may not be under the old covenant anymore. But the old covenant remains a very important source of truth and happiness. Yeah, that is what's true about the Old Testament. If that is what we can know about the Old Testament, how more so would it be if we had the complete and final revelation from God, which we do in the New Testament? So in other words, if that's how great the Old Testament is, how great is the New Testament? Because as we read in Hebrews, it is, it is a word that is living. Look over in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It is living and active or living and powerful. It is, it is not just words on a page. In fact, as we keep going, we see that it does something. It has the ability to pierce as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and be able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is because it is the sword of the the Spirit. It is the instrument, if you will. These words, this library of documents, are the instrument by which God convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. (coughs) Here we read, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we read that in conjunction with John chapter 16, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 8, as Ephesians 6 told us, it's the sword of the Spirit, as we've already mentioned, John 16, verses 17, excuse me, verses 7 through 8. It says, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this. Excuse me, I'm in in chapter 15. I knew that didn't sound right. Chapter 16, verses 7 through 8. says, but I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning the sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world has been judged. Jesus told us. Jesus told his disciples in that day that a helper was coming. And that Helper was going to come and was going to, to judge in, in sin, in righteousness, or excuse me, was to convict in sin, in righteousness, and judgment, and that Helper was the Holy Spirit, and it is through Him that we have this fully revealed, fully confirmed work that God has given to us, and it is alive, and it is powerful, and it is moving in our lives. In fact, it is life-giving in our lives. Look over James chapter one. James chapter one and verse twenty-one. Says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Within God's word we, we find the ability or we find the potential to have our souls saved. And as we've been reading in in, in uh, Peter, the word of God produces growth. In our lives. It produces spiritual growth. I <clears throat> Turn over again. So we read that again in Second Peter chapter one and verse ten. It says, Therefore, brethren, be all more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble for these thing, for in this way the entrance of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And I'm sorry, we should have started in verse 8. For if these qualities are, using, are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, you'd think, we've talked so much about that passage, I would remember right where that was at. In verse 8, we see that through God's word, we are found to be not useless. We are, we are growing and we are being put to use and we are being given power and we are being given life. In studying this, this holy and inspired scripture, these holy inspired works that God has given to us, that is that what we know as the Bible. Because there is power. In this word. Over in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he talks about this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save. There is power in these words. And not only did we see that it is a living Word and that it is a life-giving Word, but it is also a life-guiding Word. It produces the faith necessary for our walk in this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 10, verse 17 tells us where that faith comes from that we walk by. It comes from hearing the Word of God. And that has again reminded us then that that is exactly what it's capable of doing, equipping the saints for every good work. If we remember back in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus quoted in response to to Satan, saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have the ability to, to, we, we have this living word which has the ability to give us life, and to guide that life that we have. There should be no question that this this book that God has given us is certainly great. It fulfills our greatest needs and gives us our greatest hopes, but we also need to consider that it requires us to give it a great response. Is our response worthy to this great book? Many people, and that includes those who are who are Christians, those who have been saved and are members of the lord's body, many people are illiterate when it comes to the Bible. We think of Israel of old they they suffered and were, were told they would suffer a famine of the word back in Amos chapter eight verses eleven through fourteen when he talked about how the uh, as, as the as the the grain and, and how the The sustenance that they had in this physical life uh, would go away in famine. So was going to be their spiritual life. It was going to be shut up. And that's exactly what happened for those 400 years between the Testaments. That they they didn't hear from God. There was no prophecies. There was nothing coming from God in that time. Do we live our lives today as if we still are in that, that famine? We are still in that famine of the Word. Because Israel's famine was imposed on them by God because of their exile. God imposed that famine on them because they had turned their back on Him, turned their hearts away from Him, and and had been exiled, uh, taken into captivity, and and completely had just abandoned Him. And so He he imposed a famine at, at that time before the coming of Christ. But our famine, the famine that we can very, very seriously have to face, is not imposed by God. It's self-imposed. It's imposed by us because of our own neglect, but the effect is still the same. Our young people will faint from thirst. And they will fall and they will not rise. And many, for many, they will feed upon unbalanced diets. You <coughs> know, it's not hard to, to see, and we talked about it a little bit this morning in, in our Bible class. It's not hard to see how we can get to the situation we are in, in, in our, this day and age, in our society, where we say you can marry whoever you want to marry. You can be whatever you want to be, whether it be male or female. You, you can do pretty much whatever you want to do, because we have been living on an unbalanced diet that says God is love, and God is love, and God is nothing but love. And while that is certainly true, God is still, he is still a jealous God. And He is still a wrathful God. And He is still a merciful God. He requires us to, to come and to follow Him. And for so long, we have been living in this famine where we have said, I will feed upon the verses that I want to feed upon, and I will, I will throw out the rest. I will neglect the rest. Sometimes we do that by just selecting passages, that these are the passages I like, and that's all I'm going to read. Sometimes we say, you know, that Old Testament didn't have anything to do with me, so that's, in, that's in days of the past, and I'm not going to bother reading that. Sometimes we do that by saying, I'm only going to study whenever someone tries to prove me wrong. I'm going to study to prove myself right. You know, I'm going to come to the conclusion and then I'm going to find the evidence to back it up. And that is the wrong way to approach such a great book, a book that is boasting and filled with the ability to save our lives and guide our lives. Instead of saying, I know what I think is right and I'm going to find a way to prove it, I should say, what is right God? What can I do to be more pleasing and to follow after you? And let Him guide us instead of trying to guide ourselves to our conclusions. That is, that is the response. Uh, one of the responses to God's great book that is, is worthy. Not a tepid response, but a, a, a bold response that says, I will give my life. I will give my life to you and to your law which you have left for me. We must probably value God's word. We must look at it as we read Psalm one nineteen as more valuable than gold and and silver. One sixty two says it's more valuable than tr- great treasures. Do we look at God's word and think to ourselves it is more valuable than our money? It is more valuable than our stuff? You no, know, that that maybe is, is is a pretty easy thing to say because you know we all maybe have our well I'm sure we all have our own personal. Copies of the Bible, and we probably have a couple of. Them. Maybe we have one on our phone, and we have a paperback version of some sort. We have one maybe that even just gets set aside that this is when we read it as a family together. It's kind of interesting to me to look at that and say, Well, how can I value this more than money? Let's take a step back and even, say, Well, how can I value this more than entertainment? How can I value this more than hobbies? how can i value this more than my job does god's word really hold a great value in my life and so that i, you know, I will be diligent in studying and reading it why well, have the audit, uh, the attitude that was talked about in 1 peter chapter 2 1 peter chapter 2 verse 2 just starting in verse 1 it says therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that, it, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Do I have that sort of diligent attitude that says, I, I need it. Not just, I feel like I should probably, I'm, I'm getting kind of a guilty conscience here. I need to be reading my Bible a little, a little bit more. Do I wake up and, do I, and go to sleep each and every day with the attitude that I truly need to spend some time in God's word today? Do I read it and do I consider it, not only with an attitude of longing for it, but with an intention to obey it? In James chapter one verse twenty one, we read that uh, earlier this morning. <clears throat> Let's also read verse twenty two uh, again. Verse twenty one said, "Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves." Not only do we have a desire and a longing to hear God's Word, we have a desire and a longing to follow God's Word, to enact God's Word in our lives. In Psalm 119 and verse 18, if you want to flip back over there, we read something really really special about the psalmist. Psalm 119 and verse 18 It says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And then if we could also consider that in 133. In verse 133, it says, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. What is it that he's doing here? As he's reading God's law and as he's studying God's law and as he has a, a longing for it, and desire and intention He also has a prayer, a prayer that is on his heart constantly and consistently that says, teach me. Not only do I want to read it and do I want to to follow it, I want to understand it and I want it to guide me. So so God, please, as we read in James, give me wisdom. Help me to understand your word and to follow your word. Because the thing is, is, it is possible for us to understand it. He has not written us a book that is so far beyond us that we need doctors and lawyers. We don't need these high doctorate uh, degrees to be able to understand God's law. What we need is a heart that is longing to, to know it, a spirit that is willing to follow it, and a prayer that says, God, it is worthy of my time. Please help me. Please guide me. As we contemplate God's creation around us, again, it produces a response. At least it does in me that says, How great thou art. God is a being of great power, God is a being of great intelligence. But contemplating God's book also produces that same response in me How great thou art! Because God is a being of great wisdom and great understanding. He's a being of great love and compassion. And He is a being of great justice and righteousness. So today, I, I hope that our, our study this afternoon has done at least two things. I hope it's done at least two things for us today. I hope it's increased our appreciation for God's great book, for His Bible. And I, I, I say that with a warning. Not that we set this book up as an idol. Not that we set it up as an idol, but that we see it for what it is and have a better understanding for what it is in in, in being a gift from God. I hope that we do that. But I also hope that it has stimulated our desire to be more diligent in our response to it. More diligent in in reading it. More diligent in obeying it. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 says, So now, brethren, I commend to you God, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's let God's great book build us up build us up so that we may receive that wonderful inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and will not fade away. That inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. This afternoon, if there is some way in which we can assist you in, in following and obeying God's great book, if you have not taken the first steps of doing so, we would have you know that we, we would love to sit down and to talk about that and discuss that and what God's Word says. If you have followed God's Word already, you have already become a child of His and and been added to to His number, my encouragement for you today is to really stop and to look at yourself and say, have I been showing God's Word the respect and, and the diligence that it deserves? If I've not been doing that, that I want to change that today. I want to do better at that starting today. If there's some way that I can help you with that, let me know. If there's something that you have done that you feel brings reproach upon the church and feel like you need to come forward and make confession, then come forward and make confession. But whatever you can do to help you, please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.